Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis. I'm your host. And today I'm speaking with Jonathan Hensley. Jonathan is a co-founder and CEO of Emerge, a digital product consulting firm that works with companies to improve operational agility and customer experience. For more than two decades, Jonathan's helped startups, Fortune 100 brands, technology leaders, large regional health networks, nonprofit organizations, and more transform their businesses by turning strategy, user needs, and new technologies into valuable digital products and services. Jonathan writes and speaks about his experiences and insights from his career and regularly hosts in-depth interviews with business leaders and industry insiders. He lives in the Pacific Northwest with his wife and two boys. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we got a chance to connect. And so just curious, how old are your boys? love to know. Uh, my little one just turned four uh, and uh, my oldest is eight. Okay. Nice spread there. We have, we have twin uh, boys. They're six years old. So we're right in the middle there. Feeling so you, your pain. You know all the fun. <laughs> <laughs> all the fun. Oh yes. Um, again, twins. thanks for being on the show, Jonathan. Would love to know. I know. And it's exactly how you think. It's exactly how you think. Uh, would love to hear more about your story, Jonathan. Why don't we start there? You know, bring us um, back, you know, 20 years ago, whatever it is, um, two decades ago. Just talk to us about, you know, why you, you co-found Emerge, you know, what was happening at that point and kind of catch us up on what's been going on to bring us to this point today. Sure. So my career really started out of passion. I, as as far back as I can remember, technology has always been something that I've been incredibly passionate about. Um, I had the benefit of growing up in Silicon Valley um, during a time when the access to technology and thought leaders in the space was um, as easy as walking down to your local coffee shop and starting a conversation. It was just a phenomenal time to be passionate about technology and what was really interesting is that I came from a, a family background of, uh, or I had two parents who were um, in psychology. And so uh, being able to be exposed to the psychology and uh, understanding human behavior and how people think and, and what drives their motivations and being able to then look and see how technology is impacting people's lives and the way that they live and work was just this in, incredible intersection that I found myself at, um, at a very young age. And that really became the catalyst for launching an entire career in technology where I would find, you know, early on mentors, history professors that were running computer labs and, you know, folks running engineering and software groups at Hewlett Packard's campus. And at a time where I could just walk right in, and I was a kid who could be a part of that community and was was embraced for my curiosity and inspired and supported. And so that really set the trajectory for a long career 
um, in product, uh, very specifically in, in the digital product. And so from that, uh, then very shortly after came, you know, the big internet boom and, uh, and then the, the mighty burst of, of the dot-com bubble, uh, that followed. Mm-hmm. And that was a really interesting intersection point. Cause it was like, is this going to be something that is, you know, a lot of people were arguing, maybe this is going to be a fad. We all know better, uh, now, but at the time there was these conversations happening and what really took hold for me was we had this incredible, uh, time of, of innovation and excitement. And that really got to, uh, that to a feverish, uh, pitch and pace around the world. Now we have to bring rigor to developing great yeah. products and great systems and how that technology can really start to drive innovation in the way that we operate businesses differently. And so that really became then the catalyst for founding Emerge and driving uh, those practices and that rigor. And how do you actually develop software that drives business outcomes in a way that serves uh, people in the best possible way? And so that became the the foundation for the company. Really interesting. It's almost like you're destined to follow this path. And I'm curious because I'm not sure if you would have rubbed shoulders with any of the leaders of these companies or, you know, went down the the mentorship road at any point, but um, through your various conversations and learnings and just being immersed in this culture, when do you feel that you realize that this was where you wanted to spend your time? What age was that at was there was there a moment like a catalyst that really helped you to you know venture into into this world or was it just more of a natural progression i knew from the age of 10 uh, that this was something that i wanted to be a part of i was absolutely in, enthralled as i said by the technology and how that changed uh, things for people and the the culture of the time especially in silicon valley was it was so open and so uh, incredible at the pace that things were happening, it was hard not to want to be a part of it. And I think it just really helped me find purpose and a way to contribute just very quickly. And I was fortunate that I had that opportunity to do that. And I also had the opportunity to fail a lot quickly. And often as a you know a, a kid and as, uh, and as I grew up in the space to really become immersed with how do you, you know, approach a, a, your life as a constant learner? And that learning mechanism became just something that I fell in love with. And it's still something that, at the, you know, the day that I stop being a constant learner and think that I can't learn anything you know, else is definitely the day I should be done and step out of the industry immediately. Um, I don't see that ever happening, but it's, you know, it's one of those key hallmarks, I think, of what I love about you know, this space is that there is always something to learn from every individual based on their life experience and their own expertise that you can apply to being better. And so in, you know, the software space, that is, um, that's really part of, of the culture of, of the highest performing teams and uh, organizations. And so that's something that I think will continue to, to fuel my work for, for years to come. Okay. What are some of those channels that you explore when it comes to this learning? Are you, you know, reading white papers and articles? Are you seeking out this learning through conversations? Are you doing courses, conferences? Where are you going to to gather this information to continue on 
Um, all the above. But in short, I mean, what I find is that there, there is an incredible amount of resource in, you know, uh, the, the great books that have been written over the last you know decade or two, there are, I think that nothing though can beat taking what you learn from books and articles and, and blog posts and things like that uh, in these conferences. And you need to com- combine that with conversations that you have with people. And so mm-hmm. I don't look at it as one or the other. I actually see it as something you have to bring together because the when you're writing an article, even, even when I write, uh, you know, and, you know, materials or, uh, was writing my book there, you have this, you know, you take, go through this process of distilling it down. And what a conversation is allowing you to do is then look at what is the raw, you know, experience that somebody's having, what were they feeling in that moment? That is very difficult sometimes to bring through the narrative of some of these, you know, other, uh, mediums when you're trying to distill and bring focus to a topic for somebody. It's an important aspect, but you lose something in that translation. And so being able to have a conversation and to see someone's face about, uh, you know, and how, and really then all of a sudden recognize that there was a lot of pain behind that story. And that's something that there's really, there's a lesson to be learned there. Let's talk about that. You know, what was really difficult. Yeah. Let's get to the core of what happened then you start to really be able to have much more meaningful and I think insightful learning experiences where you can start to look at not just what happened, but why did it happen? And what was the environment that set up that sequence of events so it unfolded in the way that it did? What were the assumptions that were made? What was the reality that they saw that was different than maybe the market saw in in the, and the value of that product that was being created, or maybe the conflict that existed between teams um, and the organization itself. And a lot of times there's this inner conflict that's taking place and, you know, and an organization is unknowingly at war with itself and you don't even recognize it until after the fact. And those are every single one of those stories and those moments of conversations I find to be incredibly valuable in adding a level of depth that's, I think, really important to take into the learning experience. Um, so lately, one of my favorite things is having these really big deep dive conversations with um, both chief product officers or, or CEOs of companies and then product managers that are you know, boots on the ground really trying to solve these problems and deliver better products and solutions and looking at, well, what's the gap between what am I hearing from one end of the spectrum from leadership and what am I hearing from those that are doing the work? And then what's their point of view on the customer? Like those are really interesting things to try to correlate because you're, it's amazing how often they're very different and you can, you learn a lot from, you know, what's why things aren't working and that helps you start to understand, well, what does it take? What are those that succeed do differently? And so I find myself being a constant student of looking for those insights of what is, what are people doing differently or just uh, in a way that actually becomes the difference between failure and success. And that's pretty much the, the foundation of all my learning activities that I do today. What a great answer. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to jump more into emerge and you know what you do and how you prescribe and help your customers and there's a statement on your website 
goes like this. Emerge Interactive has committed to a simple philosophy. The relationship between Emerge and its clients should exist to create real and lasting value, to change the conversation, to move uh, people to action, to inspire and motivate a team to focus on what matters. I love that. It's so eloquent. It's so it's so clear and concise. You've obviously spent some time crafting that. So can you break down more practically um, how you do this, how you approach your engagements, what the services look like, and what really your process looks like if we were to spend the next you know several minutes on maybe an end-to-end? What does that look like for your customers? Sure. So I think the the key there, you know, element there is really how do you define what matters, you know, and that that's a really tricky thing depending on uh, who you're talking to. And so when we work with a client, what we do is we really quickly work on this concept of aligning to what matters. What is the actual objective that we're trying to create in our collaboration together? What does that really have to look like? And not just, um, I think ambitiously, a lot of times we talk about, well, it means we're going to have a better product or a great product or a great customer experience. But what does that mean? You know, but it, how do we define that? How do we measure that? How do we make that take away the subjectivity of, su- of statements like that? And I think a lot of time things are left to be somewhat um, open to interpretation, which makes them very ambiguous and it reduces the ability to focus on the right things at the right time. And so we really start a relationship by anchoring the relationship to where are you trying to get to as a business? What are you trying to achieve with this product? And we want to be explicitly clear on what that is when we begin a relationship. So then that way we have something to measure our progress and our collaboration against as we move forward. And it helps us understand what services, what tools do we need to bring into the relationship in order to actually move them towards that, you know, that goal and that destination. And so that's really um, fundamental. The second piece to that is really making sure then that we understand that when we're coming in, we are hired by them, but we are there to be in service of their their customer or their user. And sometimes the customer and the user are are also different, um, especially in the B2B space. So those that use the product are not the same of those who buy the product, as an example. So we really start to work on first identifying, well, not only who's your customer and or your user for your product, if we're going to move it forward, but working to understand not what they do, but why they do the things that they do. What's motivating that customer? Yeah. And if we can do that, we can start to really get a much cleaner and clearer picture of what does matter. And if we understand what matters, then we can start to understand how can we serve that customer and create more value and focus on the right things. So that's, that's foundational to every engagement that we do, whether it's helping a client with strategy or helping them improve their customer experience and designing their product or helping them um, bridge the execution gap and delivering that product to market. Maybe it's a product that's been in market for years, but it's underperforming and they're looking to uh, improve that. And so, you know, we're going to go right back to the foundation of, you know, what are you trying to achieve and, you know, what is driving 
the uh, the issues of, around your product. And so that that's really the foundation of every engagement that we have because it really sets us up to have the right information to have the meaningful conversations and diagnose the situation to support their vision. Mm. I love what you said about, you know, asking the question, you know, why is this important? It's not just the what or the how, it's why is this product important? And so when you ask that question, what are some of the answers that usually come back? Have you found that these customers have really uncovered their why? Um, and, and ideally, like, are, are, are those the customers you're looking for, the ones that haven't figured it out so that you can engage with them and bring them on this journey? Curious to know how that works. Well, we work with an entire spectrum of, of clients. I mean, if you're in a startup mode, you probably have a hypothesis or maybe you're an, an, you know, an early business that's, you know, uh, has an opportunity to, to do something new in the market. And so it's a very different conversation with a company like that than it is with, you know, a company that has 5,000 employees and is servicing, you know, customers all over the world. Um, we we f- tend to find that what's really key is if we can understand people's motivations and what that, you know, what is, I like Clay Christensen's an analogy of, um, if you're familiar with jobs to be done, this idea of what's the job of your product. So, Clay Christensen is a, a, a professor at, at Harvard, uh, and he uh, had he has a theory around what's called jobs theory or jobs to be done theory. And so the idea is, okay. you know, essentially, you know, I'm not hiring, you know, um, like why do I use a drill? I use a drill for the outcome of drilling a hole, you know, so I'm, I'm more interested in the, what I need is the hole. I don't need the drill per se. Right. So yeah. uh, that's a v- very simple example, but what it's trying to do is understand like truly what's the purpose or the why behind the product. And I would say whether you're a startup or a mature company, the challenge is, is that can evolve. And what can also happen is over time as a product matures, you, um, have a product can, uh, rot basically it you get bloated too many features too many things and now it no longer does the main thing that it was originally hired to do very well and that opens up a lot of space for um, competition and to be disrupted in an industry like that and so you see a lot of industries right now that have not uh, innovated much are are truly ripe for disruption with as many entrepreneurs and and you know, innovators out there that are looking at ways to leverage technology and really challenge the the status quo and how those things are are currently um, being facilitated. So, really trying to understand the purpose of of product is really important, and it comes in two dimensions. So, to add more um, context to that is, you know, when we're looking at a product, we want to understand two things: what's the psychological value that it provides. And then what's the functional value that that product provides? And that allows us to really understand, is the product effectively doing what it needs to do or not? Or where is it failing and potentially falling short? And so I think a really good example, um, and I can use this because we don't work with them at all, but as if you look at like the automobile industry is, is a really good one, you know, um, Volvo's psychological need is around safety. And so if you buy any one of their vehicles, you know that you're buying it because safety is really important to you. 
and then all of the other things that come with the functional needs of, of that vehicle um, follow suit. Whereas a vehicle like Toyota, as an example, of course their products are extremely safe. There's no way they could sell a vehicle at that quality level without it being safe. But the core psychological value that they're selling is reliability. And so how you actually design, build, and deliver on that promise of your product becomes very different. Yet you have two companies essentially fulfilling the same functional value for the end customer. But they can exist and be completely seen as different organizations because they are. Because they're really looking at a very specific type of customer where the priority is either safety or reliability. And so that's important because that that you know that changes your competitive landscape it can it changes the way that you think about you know the the product mix as a whole. And so you know when we're working with these companies no matter at what stage they're at, you know we're coming back and we're going okay, well let's really look at the core value of your product. What is that psychological value and how are you delivering on that that promise? How does that actually manifest in in the product experience and then that functional value what's what's needed there and so if you know i'm selling you know i believe you know innovation and my experience is clunky then you know that's not that's obviously a disconnect automatically so we need to simplify we need to streamline we need to think about how do i actually reinforce the psychological need if I want to be seen as an innovator. And so, you know, that's another example of why a company like Apple can be so incredibly successful as they understand the core value of their products extremely well. And it's why they have so much reoccurring purchase power with, within that, um, that customer base, because people love their, if you're an Apple person, you love your Apple products. And they know that and they, they build on that. And that's with intention. And they do an incredible job of it. I mean, candidly, and they've, they've had me for 30 plus years because of it, Yeah, you know, and, um, and through the highs and lows of the company, you know, and, but I know in the essence of the product, I know that they are connecting to that, that value. And, you know, I'm certainly, I'm locked into the ecosystem at this point and I happily so. So, you know, understanding that dynamic is really important. So when we do get into those early stage engagements, you know, it's we have to start with the fundamentals and we have to see, you know, how are you actually set up to, you know, address and solve the problem that's in front of you? Because the way that we solve that problem needs to be unique to your product and who you are as an organization. And so we have to tap into that core um, from the very beginning. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. 
Oh man, I love everything that you're saying. And uh, I, I picked up a lot there, but one thing that stood out and I'm curious about now is we're talking a lot about products and fit and why, and you tied it into core values, which we're going to go to next because you've got some core values on your website. I'd love to talk about what that looks like for me as well, but everything that you're talking about regarding product, can this, can this, um, can it be said and, and, and be true for service-based businesses as well? Like getting to that why, um, looking at the, the jobs theory, can we apply those same principles to service-based businesses? And do you work with those businesses as well? Uh, we do work with service-based businesses and you can absolutely apply those. So as an example, you might, you know, what is the core product if, as a service business? And it can be very, you know, many, many things, but let's just come up with one example of if I'm selling a service, maybe my my core thing that I'm selling is confidence. You're hiring me on, based on my expertise and you as the customer are looking for confidence that you can leverage those expertise to achieve X, Y, Z, whatever that thing may be. So that's, that's really important. Um, you know, versus, you know, some, some other, you know, core attribute that, that you're looking to, to, to have. So I think that when you're thinking of a, of a service business versus uh, having a, a physical product or a digital product, it really, at the, at the foundational level, it's no different. It's really just understanding that there are different ways to deliver that service. And the right way to do that is going to be different for one company than another. And one of the reasons for that is because they're tapping into a very specific core you know, need that is there within a market that they've identified that they either have a passion for, maybe experience with, maybe if they don't have experience, it's, it's something that they're, they've seen a problem that is worth solving that is, you know, inspired them, whatever got them to that point. The key there is understanding, oh, that's my core. That's the core that will drive my business and my success forward. And I think Mm -hmm. what you find with a lot of early stage businesses is that that has never been really very well understood or explained. And so you kind of hear the common thread of, well, everybody or anybody could be my customer or the, you know, I, I, you know, I service small businesses. Well, what kind of small business? Why are those businesses distinct? What do those businesses need from you? Cause not all small businesses have the same needs or problems or value your solution. So we right. need to narrow that in because what happens is our marketing, our communications, the value of the service, how we deliver that service um, really becomes transformed by understanding those core needs. And I think what's really important to, to add to that is by understanding the needs, both functionally and psychologically, we start to understand the value drivers of what's the exchange we're asking for and how is that exchange valued and can be measured between the organization and that, that customer. And that value exchange is really, really important, especially in a service-based business when you are trying to, if you're selling time as an example, you know, what's the value exchange there with the customer? Is they're paying maybe mm-hmm. a premium for your time, but what are you asking from them in addition to that, you know, that monetary transaction? And it's also why a lot of businesses don't aren't asking for money. It's right. Why you can have entire platforms that the actual value is somebody's time and attention. 
I mean, that's why social networks are so powerful. They're they're not going to monet they're monetizing your attention, but mm-hmm. so that's the exchange. So they're looking at they understand the the actual value exchange that's taking place and where that you know income and revenue and all all those things and profitability are all lagging indicators of what really matters in their business model. And so that really helps you start to look at things in a different way that can be extremely powerful. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a minute, if that's okay. Sure. Um, Something tells me you'll be able to take it. So, um, a bit of background. I mean, before we started recording here, I, I let you know that Ditto is about two years old. But my first business I started about seven years ago and um, exited that last September. Decided to just focus on this one here. But at the time, and the, the previous business was a marketing agency. So if we go on the side of value, and I love your approach to this with your customers, um, our our vision, or I guess I'll, I'll back up. Wh- what I really started the business for in the beginning was for, to experience my own freedom, right? We start businesses as entrepreneurs to live the life of freedom that we want and stay at home and make our own hours and go on vacation. And you quickly realize that that is a pipe dream. And, you know, uh, there's so much more to be achieved and realized as you, as you embark on this journey. And so, um, after doing some, you know, real soul searching and on the recommendation of a mentor, I, I put together what I felt to be the why for the business. And that was to help owners achieve the life of freedom. They started their businesses to achieve or reach the live the life of freedom. They started their businesses to achieve. Right. And so that, that's really what the, the, the whole focus was around the business it was to help creative entrepreneurs who are stuck in the weeds, stuck in this uh, space of chaos to help them kind of pivot and, and realize this life of freedom. And what, what that has turned into at Ditto is, is our vision is to put an end to team burnout, right? We want to empower teams to focus on the work that they were hired to do, that they're skilled in doing without the issue of not knowing where or how that work is happening, and then we have core values that tie into that. So based on that, like w- with your customers that you're working with, do you feel like that's enough, right? Like we, we've kind of, you know, started, um, we, we thought about this obviously a lot. We've, we've sold this to our customers. We've sold them that dream and that hope, and we've helped them realize that for their companies as well. So I can really say that we stand behind that promise. Where would you take someone like me next when it comes to that whole discovery and finding the why behind the why? Oh, I love that question. Um, so I have a couple of thoughts on that and you can please sure. correct me if I'm, if I'm off in any way, cause I am making some assumptions since this is all, you know, sure. new. Yeah. I, I love, I love that you've defined that as your purpose and separated that from your vision or strategic vision. And the reason I say that is because the way you framed it is perfect as purpose. Helping, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners, you know, avoid burnout and, and supporting them. Um, I apologize. I know I'm not saying it exactly right. That's okay. Uh, it's brand new. Is, <laughs> but I think then that now the question is how do you, in my mind would be is how do you take that purpose, that why, and how do you turn that into an effective strategy to drive the impact that you want from that purpose? And I think that that is really 
that's a really tricky thing to do. And so if I was to think of that as whether, you know, from a service or a product perspective, but at the core, I would go, okay, to avoid burnout, you know, what do I need to help these entrepreneurs and these business owners have? What do they need to experience from our, you know, our services? And in order to create a strategy around that, what does that look like? And so if I was to build a team around that or to think of that, that situation or was working with a client, the next piece I think I'd really, you know, encourage to bring definition to would be is, well, then what is the strategic vision on how you will accomplish that? So if I want to help, uh, you know, avoid um, burnout, what does that look like from uh, a strategic vision? So let's break down what the anatomy of a great vision is, because I think it's often confused with the why or the purpose statement, like, like you've defined. And I think that's really difficult for a lot of people to reconcile. Well, then there's like five names for the same thing. What, what's the tool I should be using. So in this context, uh, the anatomy of vision is, is made up of really three core things. Um, it's, and just to very put it out there, it's not goals. It's not, you know, ambitious statements or lofty things. What we're really trying to anchor to is what is the long-term destination? And when I say long-term, I mean three to five years, something you can tangibly see. This isn't like your big, hairy, audacious goal or 10-year or 30-year, you know, kind of strategic vision, you know, or, you know, ambition. It's what is that the long-term objective that allows you to work with the market dynamics and, and knowledge that you have today? So a a vision needs to have a clearly defined uh, destination for the organization. It has to have a a clearly defined way of measuring that uh, what you're trying to achieve over the next three to five years. Uh, And it has to have a way in order to do that that is understandable by all. And what what I'm really anchoring into is that anybody who sees that or who is part of the organization, whether they're an employee or a partner, or it doesn't matter, they have the same understanding of that that you do. And so you're starting to build a common language and shared understanding. And that's incredibly powerful because you need that that understanding to make sure you're collaborating and moving things forward together collectively, right? So you know, with that, you know, a lot of times you'll have, uh, you know, it's like, well, we want to you know, avoid, you know, burnout, but burnout, how, how do you want to do that then? And at, at, at what scale, what does that look like? Is that a thousand business uh, owners that you've helped? Is that 10,000? Is that, and a lot of times I, I, I push, I preface that side of it versus saying like, oh, well, we want to be a $5 million company or a 25 million, whatever that's a lagging indicator. That doesn't tell me how you're going to get there. That should be a byproduct of you doing your work because you're the best at what you do, right? And you don't want to use terms like, well, we want to be the best at helping reduce burnout for, for, you know, uh, business leaders. Well, well, what defines best? Is that the best in Toronto? Is that the best in the world? Is that, you know, by what measure does that look like? Mm -hmm. So it's important to find how are you measuring and holding yourself accountable to the success and the the purpose that you have in the world. What does that look like? And I think that in making sure that everyone can understand that clearly is is really, really important. Once you have an understanding of your purpose, 
you can then need to start to frame it into that that business vision and strategic structure so you can start to then prioritize correctly well these there might be 50 problems that are leading to burnout maybe there's five that you're the best at and you can confidently help you know leaders address the fact that you're aware of the 50 is phenomenal because you can be a, a guide and a counselor and a, and a, and a um, you know, support person to, to that individual or their team. But the reason you'll get hired is for those five, those five things that you're better at than anybody else. And that's how you'll move the needle in your vision. And that's how you'll fulfill your purpose. And that the byproduct of all that will be the freedom and the, the, the you know, um, monetary success that you might be looking for. And so I think it's really important to take that first step in understanding what is the strategic vision for the business that enables that purpose to be fulfilled in a, in, in a proper way so that you're set up for success. And then being able to start to anchor to that, these are the problems we solve for our clients better mm-hmm. than anybody else. And if we do that, these are the outcomes we want for ourselves and these are the outcomes we want for our our clients and now you have a really clear way of measuring outcomes and performance for the business and you can set a very specific target of who you want to work with and why you're working with them wow um thank you for that such a timely conversation i mean you wouldn't know this but in february we released our 2025 vivid vision and i'm a huge fan of cameron harold and if anyone's listening that uh has a connection to Cameron and he wants to get on the show, please connect us. But um, so we, we finished the vision in, in February, released it. And it's, it was, it was a really, really eye-opening exercise. I mean, there's so many things that we removed from it before it was released because it just felt like it wasn't in alignment or it just felt like too ambiguous. And I, I know that's part of it is to create these BHAGs. But what I found interesting from what you said is that, you know, when it comes to, this why and the purpose, it may not necessarily be about the BHAG or the goals you said. It's more about the how we get there. And I think my problem has been, um, and sorry, I'll just finish in saying, we got the feedback from the team. We've been sharing the vision. We're getting really great feedback. It's awesome. And I'm already starting to see some of these goals and these things in the vision realized, putting them into practice, improving our, our internal processes, improving our sales process, removing friction and sticking points for our customers, receiving their feedback and implementing those things to make their engagement you know, better so that we could be a better resource for them. But I think where, um, where I want to take this and what I want to ask is, what does your strategy look like for really setting those strategic hows? Because I'm not, I'm not sure where, where you sit in this, but I find myself to be most creative in the evenings or on the weekend or in the shower when I'm supposed to be doing anything other than working, right? But I have these ideas and I think this is the how and I'm taking this and I'm implementing it. And sometimes I'll bring that stuff to my team and it's, what are you doing? We can't do that right now. Or maybe I've misunderstood the meaning of this and it doesn't align with the vision, right? And so how do we really set those strategic touch points as we, we have our why, we have our purpose, we know we have our goals, we have our vision, we're moving towards that. How do you set in place the, the action items that need to be um, realized to get to that how and make sure that you're actually aligning with the things you need to be spending your time on? 
Oh, I love that question. So I, you know, a couple of things, one, it goes back. I mean, the starting point is that vision, the strategic vision. And I call, you know, I call it out as a strategic vision and not a vision statement or a company statement very intentionally because a strategic vision that's grounded in the actual strategy of the company gives you a decision framework for these things that you're talking about. You should be able to evaluate, um, a couple of key things very simply uh, at, you know, in that you can say, okay, if I, I have this great idea, you know, if we do this, will this move us forward to our long-term objective? Does that actually help us move, take a step forward towards that? Does that help us address a near-term goal that we've already established? Uh, yes or no, the outcome that we want. Um, and then do, is that an alignment with you know, our, our objectives uh, as, as we go forward and how will we measure the forward progress of this if, if we choose to invest into to taking this on? You know, there has to be some checks and balances uh, in that. And I think what what's often happens is that ideas that, that come from inspiration, they, they can happen anywhere. I mean, it happens to me. It doesn't happen it rarely happens while I'm sitting at my desk. It's usually because I overheard a piece of a conversation and I was inspired by something or, you know, I'm, it happens to me, uh, you know, sometimes I'm in the middle of a phone call with my wife and she's like, are you, are you listening? And it's like, sorry, this just came into my head. It's, it's, you never know when it's going to happen. And I think that is, uh, that's the beauty of, of creative problem solving is you just never know when you're going to be inspired but you do have to have some sort of structure and criteria in order to evaluate those those things and really then prioritize them. So I, I like two two personal frameworks that I personally enjoy in, in keeping those things in alignment. Um, and I want to talk about alignment in, in a second in a little bit more depth. But the the first one is: Do you have the foundations of a great strategy for your business in place? Meaning, do you have that strategic vision? Do you clearly understand the problem you're solving and the impact of that problem on your audience? Do you understand the near-term outcomes you're trying to achieve both for the business and the customer? Because those things have to be in alignment and usually they're not looked at together. If you're being customer-centric, tell me the customer's outcome. If you're not being customer-centric, even though nobody says they're not, maybe they're business-centric. They both do exist. They need to be honestly identified, and they need to see if they're if they actually support one another. Um, that's an that's usually a major missing component. Um, the fourth is what's the approach? How are you going to approach tackling, re- achieving that objective, both the near term outcomes and the long term? And then how do you overall are you measuring performance? Those are just the foundational elements of strategy, and so. When you have ideas, it's great to have a uh, if you ha- if you believe in your strategy, you've done the, the hard work because strategy is extremely uh, time consuming and taxing to do well. Uh, it, but it, it pays off in, in leaps and bounds. Then you have a great criteria for evaluating that. Then I think once you've said, yes, this idea totally fits within these things, you the next step I look at is. Um, I like the idea of an innovation portfolio. And so there's only so much an organization can take on. uh, And what type of idea is it? Is it incremental improvement in the business? 
which usually is, you know, about 70% of the ideas. And those are usually small, easy things to do. Um, you know, up, updating a template, changing, a, you know, step in a process. These are not big things and they can be done quickly um, and relatively uh, simply um, across teams or across organizations. You know, the other 20% is maybe more significant. These are m- major process changes, evolutions in, um, you know, uh, positioning, creating new products or services potentially as well. These things are much more complicated and they are mm-hmm. going to have to potentially, re- they, they command a tremendous amount of resources. And so those things are really important to, uh, they're also higher risk. So when you bring those to a team and you say, hey, let's do this, you're impacting their workloads, you're changing focus, you're changing resource allocation. You know, it, those are things that can easily get piled onto if they're not identified as, as significant changes the magnitude of, of actually supporting that change becomes pretty difficult. Um, and then that last 10% is like innovation. And innovation is the highest risk and the heaviest lift. These are early stage hypotheses that may or may not have any evidence yet of whether or not it's a great idea or not. And so there's usually a lot of experimentation, a lot of you know exploring and conversations. And these are big, longer investment commitments with the potential of huge payoffs where you are driving or creating disruption. Well, when you look at that, if you shifted all your resources from you know, the 10 goals you set as a team into now this quick idea that seems like it, you know, it's easy, but realize, wow, this is actually pretty complex. This is innovation that we're actually starting to tackle. You might quickly recognize we don't have the resources to do that right now. And if we do that, that means we have to set aside these other priorities. And as a leader, we have an incredible responsibility of maintaining focus. And so when we do that and we bring in those new ideas, we also have to, it takes a lot of time, especially with more, with bigger things to bring people along to understand how this supports the long-term vision and our outcomes if we are choosing to replace it, right? Is this because of market dynamics? Is this because of, you know, it's a major, you know, change in, in process efficiency, whatever it may be, the, we have to have a way to, to gauge these things. Um, and I like the Mm -hmm. portfolio model for myself personally, and and tend to recommend it often is, is because it allows you to build a backlog of knowledge and insights that's shared with the team. And it's a great resource to go back to for the next quarter. And you can say, we didn't lose these things. But let's go through. We have all these ideas. Some are, you know, uh, game changing, and some are are incremental. Which ones are going to be the most important next in order to make this happen? And you realize, oh, we've got a couple things over here that are low hanging fruit. If we do these first, this innovation becomes possible. Oh, well, let's prioritize that next quarter. So it's yeah. good to have to understand that there's it's not a one a singular framework, but having really strong strategy as a foundational element and then some sort of framework, whether you like the innovation portfolio model or something else resonates, you know, that having that ability to capture that and then to keep that organic and alive, I think is really, really key. Well, and is that where the alignment piece comes in? Because as the innovator, 
in the company, right? You have these ideas. And if we are bringing those resources over and saying, Hey, look at this, you know, we're, we're running the risk of confusing our team, getting them into a place where they're frustrated or maybe, you know, un, obviously misalignment follows. Is that where you were kind of taking it or are there are other risks that we need to consider? Well, so alignment, I think, is a much bigger thing than is usually discussed. I think it, in, in regards of, so let me break down how I look at alignment. Um, so I look at alignment at four levels. So the first alignment uh, is individual alignment, essentially saying, how do I know my work matters? How does my work contribute to the bigger picture and the purpose and the, and the, the objectives of the company? And so that's really important for every person to understand how their effort, their, their contribution makes a difference because it's really key to their engagement and to tapping into their potential uh, creativity and, you know, really unlocking the collaboration that can take place um, across their, their peers. The second one is, is team alignment. How do you then take these individuals with all these different uh, areas of expertise and life experience and bring them together to solve problems in the best possible way. And so we have to have team alignment um, around, you know, how as a team are we going to, you know, work and solve problems collectively? And I think that's really important. And then the fourth mm-hmm. is, or the third, excuse me, is uh, organizational alignment. How do all of our resources, capabilities, and influences, you know, or how are they organized to support the, the objectives that we have for the company to support our strategic vision? And the fourth is actually alignment with the marketplace. How is this inevitably creating value for, uh, or will it eventually create value for the customer? And so I think it's important in that is that everything an organization does in my uh what I believe is that everything an organization does, whether you're a startup or a Fortune 100 company, should be oriented towards creating customer lifetime value. Agreed. Everything's connected to, to that. Yeah. So in many times that's fractured, especially in old industrial business models um, that, that, that just it's, it's not oriented very well. So you have a lot of innovation and, and uh, transition taking place there right now. So with that, if, if, if we look at alignment from that perspective, and then we go back to how do I think about ideas and systems and processes and people, it's the job of leadership is to set that strategic foundation and provide the clarity and uh, to come in and establish why these things matter, how they connect. And then if you're bringing a new idea it's the responsibility of a leader to say, this is why this matters and why we now have to prioritize it over these other things. And the painful mm-hmm. thing for a lot of people is to start to, to strip away old, old goals or things that are in motion. Cause and it, and that's difficult. And I, I understand that, but the reality is, is that you're, if you kept all of that on their plate, are they set up for success? Is the organization's resources, capabilities, and, and processes really in alignment with achieving that outcome? And oftentimes right. not. And so you need to allow for, for the organization to reset, for the teams to realign, for the individual to realign to that work and understand it. And um, 
that that takes quite a bit of an investment in, in time from leaders to support correctly. Wow. Jonathan, I really wish we didn't have to do this. But it's like they say, all good things must come to an end. Oh, there's so much I didn't get to ask. Thank you so much for the insight today. Um, as we're wrapping up and I and you're listening, I hope you're taking notes um, because Jonathan just shared so much, you know, for, for the leaders who are listening today. Jonathan, I know you have a book. I want to give you a couple minutes just to talk about that and then let people know where they can connect with you if they want to learn more. Yeah. So um, I wrote a book called Alignment, uh, ironically. So I'm very suited to the topic here. And it's all oriented towards helping leaders um, overcome internal sabotage. And it's based on several years of deep research into understanding the root causes of failure and what the highest performing leaders in the world are doing to, uh, to overcome the odds and deliver successful products uh, in their businesses um, again and again. And so it's uh, made up of uh, these uh, countless interviews and hours spent uh, talking to folks and really understanding what's what's the one thing that they're doing differently. And that, that theme is alignment. So we, we dig deep into what that looks like as a leader um, in building that strategic foundation. And so you can also establish high performance teams as you go forward. Um, and it's, it's available on Amazon and, and uh, as well as iTunes. Perfect. I've gotten in a habit of purchasing my guests' books after they come on the show. So I'm looking to looking forward to getting yours in the mail. Um, thanks so much. Uh, Jonathan Hensley, EmergeInteractive.com. Really appreciate your time and you sharing your, your experience and your knowledge today, Jonathan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much again for having me. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.